0: Now, real quick here, we left off last week in verse 8, so we're going to be picking up in verse 9. But so our main focus of today's message is actually going to be found in verses uh, 16, 17, and 18. Now, verses 9 through 22, there's lots of names mentioned, and I don't want you to feel like we're skipping over those names by any means. But we covered those names a few weeks ago. I believe it was the second study in Second Timothy. We actually stopped and did a topical on what each one of those names represent. Now, each one of those names has a story behind it. Each one of those names is a different picture of how the Lord works. And I encourage you to go back and grab that message either through CD or online. So as we go through verses 9 through 22 and we kind of read through these names, don't think we're skipping over that. We've already covered that before. I'm really going to focus on verses 16, 17, and 18. So with that being said, let's go ahead and start right here in verse 9. It says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Cratius for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me from ministry. And Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Prissa and Aquila and the hus- household of Anisphorus. Restus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in my light as sick. Your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, once again, those names are vital. I, I want to stress that. I don't want you to feel we're skipping over that. But we're here to the final chapter, the final message in the book of 2 Timothy. Now, you've heard me say every single week here in our study through 2 Timothy, this book is written from Paul while in prison awaiting execution. He knows it's coming. Jump back to what we covered last week in verses 6 through 8. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knows his execution is imminent. He's sitting here in the Roman prison awaiting for his death to come. This is his swan song, the final words through the Spirit that the Lord wrote to him. Now every time we've gone through Second Timothy here, we've talked about ministry from that dark time of life, that here's Paul in his final moments and there's a darkness of life, still ministering to the body, still going out there and trying to spread the gospel of Christ to encourage and to uplift. And we talk about what a neat testimony that is with no matter what you're facing or what I'm facing, we can still give glory to the Lord and he still gets us through it but there's some interesting passages in here that I want to focus on look at verse 16 at my first defense no one stood with me but all forsook me may not be charged against them but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. turn if you go to Galatians 6 this is going to be our uh, stepping stone here for the rest of the message Galatians chapter 6 please I'm going to talk about that idea all forsook me Have you ever had a time in life where you were left alone it was just you and you know there was no one else there and you needed people, you wanted people, you needed that help, you needed that encouragement, that support, and it wasn't there. All forsook. Galatians chapter 6, let's go ahead and start here in verse 2. Galatians 6, verse 2. It says, "...bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he has nothing, he deceives himself." But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, verse 2 is Christianity. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're supposed to be here to help each other out, to encourage each other, to support each other. One of the verses that we like to quote a lot out here and also at the Irvin household is the great verse of rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Part of the reason why we have this prayer time on Wednesday night before church we can lift up prayer requests is we, if you're excited about God doing something, we want to be excited with you. We have never, may have never met that cousin, that aunt, that uncle, that friend, that family member, but you have good news about them. Hey, we want to rejoice with you. We may have never met that family member or friend that's going through a difficult time, but as you pray for them, we want to pray with you. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. This is what separates Christianity from the world. The world does not care. But the love of Christ, we care. We care to go help bear one another's burdens, verse 2. That word for burden there means a load that you're having a hard time carrying that we can come help carry for you. There's lots of burdens in the body of Christ. Some of it's a physical burden. Hey, we can go send some guys over to help move. Or hey, you know that person needs some help around the house. We can go over and do that. Hey, this person needs this. We can go help bear that burden. Sometimes it's a spiritual burden. That person's going through a tough time. Let's go pray for them. Let's lay hands on them. Let's encourage them. Let's drop them a card or a note or a phone call. We can help bear that burden to say we're here for you so that way you're never alone because the body of Christ cares. So that's the first part. But it gets really interesting down in verse 5. For each one shall bear his own load. See, that's Constance, contradictory. Verse 2, let's bear one another's burdens. Verse 5, oh, but you've got to bear your own load. Those are two different words. See, when you have to bear your own load in verse 5, that's something that no one else can help you with. That's something that you're going through that's such a difficult time, such a tough time. We can come there and try to help. We can try to come encourage. But the truth of the matter is this is something between you and the Lord. The example I always use all the time for verse 5 is maybe the death of a spouse. We can come, we can pray with you, we can encourage you, we can put our arm around you. But the truth of the matter is, that's a load that you have to bear on your own between you and God. It's not that we don't care, it's not that we don't love, but the truth of the matter is we can't come in and help carry that burden, that pain. Maybe it's a physical problem you're going through that we can sit there and pray with you and encourage you, but it may be a load that you have to bear on your own. And see, this is what happens. When you have a verse 5 moment of a load that you have to bear on your own, And people can't help you, what do you normally do? We normally get frustrated. No one cares, no one understands, no one sees what I'm going through. We can't help sometimes with those loads. We do care, we do understand, but each one should bear his own load. See, this is where it gets really interesting. Because back in 2 Timothy, Paul says this, No one stood with me, all forsook me, but verse 17, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. See, here's the thing. You're going to come a time and a place where you're going to have a load that you can't carry. And you're going to come to the body, to the church, to humans and say, help me. And we will do everything we can to help. But the truth of the matter, it's just between you and the Lord. Just as with Paul, he says, the only one that was there for me was the Lord that strengthened me and helped me through it. So therefore, that's true with God. He's the one that can help you through it. What type of things are those? I don't know. Have you ever had such a pain where you're just spiritually hurting and you go to somebody and you open up your heart to them and you're trying to talk to them, you're trying to explain what you're going through? They sit there, they nod their head, and they say, Yep, I know, I understand. And you walk away from that conversation going, You don't get it. You don't get it. That's a load between you and the Lord. Or you may be in such physical pain and you're sitting there trying to tell somebody, You know, it just hurts to do this. It's hard to get up in the day. It's hard to do this. And they're like, Oh, I know. They don't know, they don't understand. And what's one of the most lonely feelings in the world is to be going through something emotionally, spiritually, or physically, and you try to go to somebody, you try to open up your heart, and you try to say, help me with this. And they sit there and they try to help, but nothing that a human being does can help in that situation. That is the verse right there of where you have your own load to have to, bury, uh, to bear. Does this mean that you're by yourself? Of course not. What did Jesus say in Hebrews 13? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, I don't know how many times I've heard this and I've said it myself. Well, yeah, I know God's always there. But sometimes it's nice to have a human being to talk to. I agree. But humans can't help you. <laughs> it's the Lord. And just as Paul realized in this prison cell awaiting death, even though no one was there, he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. There's a lot of times we face problems and situations in life that there's nothing that anybody can do to help us through it. It has to be God. It absolutely has to be God. And we get frustrated because we, once again, turn to the pastor, return to the body, return to our friends and family and say, help, and they try to help, but they can't do it. I went through the Bible and just wrote some examples down of people that were going through things that there's no human that could help with that. Think of the, go back to the beginning. Think of Adam. Here's Adam that he's created. Adam's out naming all the animals. And Adam's naming the animals, and he gets done with the animals, and he sees that every animal has a mate except for him. What a lonely place to be. Now what's Adam supposed to do about that? Self-surgery, take his rib out and create a woman? He can't do that. It's a God thing. The only way Adam could have that helper comparable to that mate is the Lord had to provide one for him. Now, I tell this to people that are single all the time. I say the worst thing you can do while being single is actually go out and look for a mate. Let the Lord find the mate and bring him or her to you. That's the best thing to do. And I always tell them, don't compromise. Gals, if you're out there and you're single, don't compromise on some guy that's just nice and makes you feel good or whatever. Find a born-again, solid Christian man that's on fire for the Lord that's going to be that godly leader of your household. Guys, don't find some girl that's cute and fun. Find the girl that is a woman that fears the Lord, as it says in the book of Proverbs 31. And you don't have to find him. God brings them to you. Parents, if you have single kids, the best thing you could do is pray for them that God would bring the right maiden into their life. See, that's a load that we can't take care of. We're not a matchmaking service. Except I do have to share this story with you before, and I've shared this with you before. We, had a, we have the single lady study that meets out here. And years ago, we had a guy that started coming out to church, and, and I'm an honest person. This guy was a creepy guy. I'm, just, I'm being straightforward. <laughs> Jesus loves him. Jesus died on the cross for his sins, but this guy was a creepy guy. And he came up to me and he asked me about the single ladies study. And he asked about going. And, gals, you owe me. Because I told him, no, no, you're not going to the single ladies study, creepy guy. You are not going to the single ladies study. God loves him. God loves him. But he's just creepy. So anyway, point is... That's something where the Lord has to bring man and woman together. That's a load we can't carry. Look at the next one I thought of in the Bible, Joseph. Now here's Joseph. Joseph is, is given up by his brothers, thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape that he didn't do, and thrown into prison. Talk about being on your own. Maybe some of you here today, you've just been abandoned by your family. I mean, this whole family thing, blood's thicker than water and all that other type of stuff, and you have nothing. Your family is just not there for you. And so you're sitting here hurting, going through that pain of not having that family. You know what? Joseph was there too. We see that in the Bible. And how did that end? What ended wonderfully where God still used Joseph, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But there was somebody that was abandoned by everybody. Well, turn if you go to Matthew 26. Here's one that we can probably relate to a lot. Turn to Matthew 26. Let's talk about what Christ went through. We had Adam being single, waiting for the right person. You had Joseph abandoned by his family. Look here at Matthew chapter 26. Jesus, in his final moments before his death on the cross, in the garden, getting ready to pray. Matthew 26. Verse 36 of Matthew 26. says, Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here. Why go and pray over there? Verse 37 of Matthew 26. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So he went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Now, Have you ever had a situation like that? You get your friends together. You're going through a difficult time. You open up your heart to them. Your heart is sorrowful. You're in anguish. You're having a horrible day at work, a horrible time in life, a horrible time, just whatever. So you go to your friends. You open up your heart, and you find them what? Sleeping on the job. Maybe not literally, but they're just not there. That friend that said, you call me at any time, anytime you need somebody, I'm always here for you. So you need them, you call them, and guess what? They're not there for you. Your friends have left. Or they sit there, and they just do the the casual nod of, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah, that sounds tough. You're like, you don't get it. Jesus went through that. Look at that. He's Verse 38, God in human form is opening up to them saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Comes back verse 40, sleeping? Sleeping? Comes back verse 42, sleeping? Comes back again, sleeping? Boy, we've been in those positions. I've been in those positions. You've been in those positions. I've been in that position where I try to contact somebody because I'm just hurting. I just really want a listening ear. I just want someone to open up to. can't get a hold of anybody. Nobody, right? Isn't that where God taps you on the shoulder and says, nobody? What about me? Remember, Paul said, they all forsook me. But he came back and said, the Lord strengthened me. See, you may not have anybody right now, but you have the Lord. Hebrews 13, I cannot stress this verse to you enough. Hebrews 13, 15, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Your friends may not be there. Your family may not be there. Your significant other may not be there. But the Lord will always be there us. Paul realized that in the middle of a prison cell when no one else was there facing death, you realize the only thing I got is God and that's all I need. Well, maybe it's not relationships. Maybe it's something more physical. Maybe it's not that you don't have the friends, the family, and the support of your spouse or what have you. Maybe it's physical. You're going through such a pain and a difficulty that you try to explain to someone what it's like and they just don't get it. You ever been like that where you're just going through such a tough time and you're, you're trying to explain, you can see them looking at you like, you don't, you don't get it. You just don't get it. I, I think of the lepers in Luke 17, cursed with, with leprosy. In fact, the Bible says in Luke 17 that the lepers, had to, they stood afar off. Back during Bible times, if you had leprosy, you couldn't be around anybody. In fact, as you got near people in Bible times, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Because anytime you started walking near people, you had to yell out, unclean. And it would be just like the parting of the Red Sea. They would just get out of the way for you. No one wanted to be around a leper. So here are these lepers that are standing afar off. They have nobody. Talk about loneliness. Who's the only person that came over and touched the lepers? Jesus. You may be going through a difficult time right now, and it may be a physical concern where you feel like the leper. I'm just by myself. No one gets it. No one understands. I try to explain it to my, my kids, my family, my, my friends, my doctor. They just don't get what I'm going through physically. You're the leper far off. Isn't it great that Jesus is there? He will never leave you nor forsake you. One last example here. Go to Mark 10. One of my favorite guys in the Bible, Mark 10, blind Bartimaeus. Now, that's how he's referred to in the Bible, is blind Bartimaeus. I don't think his parents really named him blind. I mean, I think that was something that they added there. But this shows this man that this is what he was. This is what he was known as. It was blind Bartimaeus, Mark 10. Now, what I like about blind Bartimaeus is this. He never gives up. Verse 46 of Mark 10. Mark 10, verse 46. It says, Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then he warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now we need to stop there for a second, take a time out. Him throwing aside his garment is vital. Back during Bible times, you had beggar's clothes. Beggar's clothes. So, what happens is by him throwing away his garment, he is saying in faith, I am done begging. My lifestyle is done. Now, has he been healed yet? No. But in faith, even before he's healed by Christ, he's letting go of his past and his his beggar's garments to say, I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. Amazing thing there. Don't ever skip over that. Throwing aside his garment. Verse 51. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher or great one, that I may receive my sight. And he said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Here's the thing with this. Go back to verse 48. And many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe you're a blind Bartimaeus. The only thing you have left to do is cry out to God. Everybody's telling you to be quiet. It's like, come on, you need to get over that. Yeah, I understand you've had some tough times in life, but come on, you need, you need to move past that. You're afraid to tell anybody that you're having a bad day anymore because that's all you say anymore is that you're having a bad day. You're afraid to tell anybody about your problems because every time you open up your heart about your problems, there's always that person that just kind of rolls their eyes and sighs and said, here they go again whining and complaining. Now, you know that's not true. That's the way it comes across. You're blind Bartimaeus. Everybody's telling you to be quiet. Be done. Aren't you glad that Jesus never says be quiet? Aren't you glad that he says, I'm here? And as you cry out, even though the world is saying, shh, Jesus says, come. I want to heal you. I want to touch you. That's the beautiful thing about this loneliness. You may be lonely while being single. Trust that God is going to bring the Eve to the Adam. You may be lonely because your family has given up on you, actually left you for dead like Joseph. You may be lonely because your friends have forsaken you just like Christ did. You may be lonely because you have that disease, that leprosy that keeps you away from people in fellowship. You may be lonely because you're the blind Bartimaeus where everybody's telling you, be quiet and just move on with life. No. God is there. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when Paul says here in 2 Timothy, at my first offense no one stood with me, all forsook me, Don't forget verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You may be in a spot right now where you have to bear your own load. No one sees, no one understands, no one gets it. God does. God does. Don't allow that frustration to get into your heart then and to start planting seeds of bitterness and anger. Because this is what happens. You you try to talk to somebody and they don't want to listen. You get frustrated. See, this is why I don't talk. This is why I don't go to church. This is why I don't do it. No one sees. No one understands. No one cares. The Lord does. The Lord does. We'll do the best we can, but the truth of the matter is we're humans. Now, don't take this message the wrong way. This is not a message of don't call people when you're going through difficult times. That's not what we're saying. We're here to support, we're here to encourage, we're here to help you bear those burdens. But the truth of the matter is, there are certain things in life that we can't fix. Only the Lord can carry that load for you. He's the only one that can help you through that. And that's what Paul realized in the prison cell, that it had to be God and God alone. See, when you go through those wilderness times, they get tough, don't they? Those wilderness times are difficult. And when you're in the middle of a wilderness times where it's just you... What is the first thing we always do in the middle of the wilderness? Let's find the quickest way out of this place. God sometimes says, no, 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 wait a second. I'm using this wilderness time to build you up. Think of all the people in the Bible that have gone through the wilderness time. Jacob did. Moses did. David did. Paul did. Daniel did. These guys were all stripped of everything but God. And when they were stripped of everything but God, they realized the only thing they need was God. See, that's the purpose of the wilderness is when you feel that loneliness and you feel like no one else is there. Once again, that's where God taps you on the shoulder and says, I'm there. And sometimes we have to go to the wilderness to realize the only thing we need is the Lord. Because when everything else is taken away from you, you realize, God, you're all I need. And that's what Paul realized in that prison cell. When everybody else forsook him, he realized the only thing I need is the Lord. Now, this is one of my favorite points about the wilderness is when you're in the middle of a wilderness, what's the two things you need? You need food and water. What did Jesus say? I'm the water of life, I'm the bread of life. Isn't that a neat picture? When you're in the middle of the wilderness, the only thing you need is Christ. He's your bread, he's your water, he gets you through. So remember that in that time of loneliness that the Lord says, I am there. Never leave you nor forsake you. Now the next thing that we see here with Paul when he's going through this time of loneliness, though, is look at verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and all the Gentiles might hear. Paul says the reason God has strengthened me is so therefore I can still be a light and a witness. Because in trials and in sickness and in tribulation, don't forget your testimony. Too many times as Christians, we clock out when the going gets tough. I'm going through a tough time right now, so I'm done. I'll, I'll come back serving the Lord here when everything's better. But right now, oh, you don't, you don't want me back there teaching now. I'm going through such a tough time, I don't know what I would say. I may tell those kids just to give up. Oh, you know, you don't know, you don't, I probably I shouldn't come to church right now because right now I'm going through a tough time, and I may say something I'm going to regret, or you know what would be best for me just to stay away. No. See, this is what happens when we go through trials, sickness, and tribulation. We almost feel like we can take our little Christian hat off. Because my life is so tough right now, it's okay for me to lose faith. No, God says, I'm strengthening you, Paul, so that even while you're facing death in the middle of your prison, the message might be preached fully. Wow. You never take time off from your testimony. You never do that. Your witness is so precious. And even while you're in prison, your witness is so strong. It is so strong. And Paul, writing this book from prison, we're sitting here now 2,000 years later blessed by it. Can you imagine if the Lord came through the spirit and said, Paul, I know you're in prison right now. I know it's tough. I know your death is imminent. I got something I want you to write. Paul says, not now. Wait, Wait till I'm out of prison. So that way I can end it with a little smiley face or something like that. No. Paul, led by the Spirit through the Spirit in the middle of darkness with death being imminent, he says, I'm going to tell people God strengthened me even though the end is near. That's the witness and testimony that we're looking for. You know, in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, while well, Job had lost his family, Lost all his material possessions and lost his health. What did he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. But blessed be the name of the Lord. In fact, in the verse before that, it says that Job worshipped the Lord. Job worshipped the Lord in the midst of just catastrophe. Too often, our worship on God is based on what he's done. It's been a good week. To God be the glory. It's been a bad week. Well, I'll skip worship. Worship is based on the unchangeable attributes of God. He's always worthy of worship. And Job realized that even in the middle of the storm, he's worthy of worship. Paul realizes even in the middle of the storm here, God is getting him through. Look at this. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. From the prison cell, that's what he decides to write. He's been saved out of the mouth of the lion. What's that a picture of? It can be a couple of different things. Um... Some people believe it's a picture of the enemy of Satan, 1 Peter 5.8. He's a roaring lion. Some people believe that lion is a picture of Rome in that sense of the Roman lion there that God saved him out of him. And some people might say, well, wait a second. He's not delivered. He's going to die. Oh, isn't that deliverance? I, I shared at, at the first service here something that Pastor Rich, some, somebody shared with me that Pastor Rich told him, and it just really, really hit me a couple weeks ago. Uh, this person was, was hit with a pretty rough diagnosis. And um, they were talking to Pastor Rich on the phone. And they were talking about this tough diagnosis. And, and the guy said something to the fact of, what's, what's the worst that could happen? But the assumption being, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that could happen is you, is you die. Pastor Rich said, well, the worst that could happen is you live. Now, think about that. The worst thing that could happen is we live. We fight so long to stay in this mortal, sinful body that's falling apart. For Paul says, I'm departing. I'm leaving. Finally. Look at this. There's not this fear of death here. Look at verse 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. Last week, we talked about departure so much and what all those different meanings of that word departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul says, finally. Look back once again to verse 18. And the Lord will deliver me from every work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Paul says, it's time to be done. I'm delivered. What a beautiful picture of just faith and just focus on the Lord of ministry going through a difficult time. Once again, when you go through those tough times in life, that is not the time to clock out and say, I'm done. What a wonderful witnessing opportunity. And I know I say this stuff to you all the time, and some of you, I can hear it on the phone when I tell it to you, you just sigh, and you think evil faults of me, and that's okay. Because sometimes you'll call me up and say, man, it's like really, really rough at work. This has happened, this has happened. I'm like, oh, a great opportunity to shine for the Lord. I guess, yeah, I mean, but but it is. In those dark times of life, it's a great opportunity. Just as Paul here says, I am strengthened so that my message might be preached fully. The reason he's strengthened is that God can use him in this dark time. So, whatever you're facing... If it's a burden, we want to help you carry that burden. We'll do whatever we can. But Sometimes Galatians 6, 5, it's a load that's only between you and the Lord. It's not that we don't care. Boy, we love you. We care. But it's between you and the Lord, and the strength that you need can only come from God and God alone. Just like Adam and Joseph and Jesus, the lepers and blind Bartimaeus. It only can be through him. And sometimes some of you are in a wilderness right now, and you're looking for the first way out. God says, no. I'm using this wilderness time. I'm using this to, to, to make you come out a stronger, better person, and your witness will be strong and powerful to you come through this. I think it's so important in times like this is to be blessed to hear somebody that is going through that difficult time to have that type of witness in this tough time. And that's why we're going to finish here with a testimony. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we had Marlene Crider get up and share her testimony of going through a tough time. At that time, she had gone through a cancer surgery and she was awaiting the results in some other cancer. And we wanted her to come up and share because so often when you hear the testimonies, it's the testimony from the person that's already been through the storm. So they can look back and say, well, look what God did. We wanted a testimony of someone who's actually going through the storm to still say to God be the glory. And I tell you, when I look at verse 17 where I saw that passage of so that the message might be preached fully through me, when I was going through that, I thought, Boy, that, that, that's, that's Marlene. Because even though Marlene is going through the cancer treatments and battling the cancer, she still heads up the single lady study. I've still used her numerous times of, of gals going through tough times saying, Hey, Marlene, can you, can you talk to her? So even though Marlene is, is struggling with the physical, God is still helping her through it. And she's able to then go minister to others. And, and I say this with a smile on my face. When I grow up, I want to be like Marlene. (laughs) What a blessing and what a neat testimony it is and what a neat picture that is. And so Marlene, if you want to come up here, we're going to have Marlene here just finish up the rest of the service just with a testimony of God's faithfulness and what she has gone through and how the Lord has been the strength for her in this difficult time. So.
1: James calls you at 915 on Saturday night you can be pretty sure that he wants you to give a testimony because he doesn't give you any time to think about it he wants you to just rely on the Holy Spirit to uh, speak through you so 915 last night he said would you give your testimony of what has happened since the last time I was up here and also to review just a little bit uh, for those of you who don't know me and and what has happened in the past and I really count it as a privilege to give my testimony because um, even though I'm kind of nervous about it uh, talking in front of people um, you know, in the Word, in, in Revelations, it says that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we want to give uh, Satan a good kick here today. Um, back in uh, 2006, my husband, Dan Kreider, um, died of pancreatic cancer. Um, that was a really rough time for me, The really, what do you talk about, losing a, a mate and uh, the loneliness. Um, it was was really rough, and I had a hard time, but this church just gathered Around me, the ladies in the Bible study gathered around me. Many of them are widows, and uh, I just appreciated so much the prayers of the people and the encouragement that they gave me. But pastor's right. When you're alone at night and you go to bed, and um, you only have Jesus there with you, and so I would say, "Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus," and He would come and just soothe and uh, give me His peace. and uh, And it was uh, an amazing time. It, w- it was hard, but I uh, got me through it. I have a wonderful family that supports me. Uh, Michael and his family live half a mile down the road, so we're back and forth all the time. That's such a blessing. And uh, I have another son and just a Napoleon grandson that lives with me. So I do have a wonderful support system, but boy, there are times when only God can meet your needs. Um, so I began to recover from that grief. And then in July of 2009, um, I had a backache. And uh, I got up one morning, and I had blood in my urine. So I called Michael and told him, and he said, okay, you're going to the hospital to check it out. And I said, no, I don't want to and he said, well, what if it was me? And I said, I'd make you go to the hospital. He said, all right, you're going to the (laughs) hospital. So we went up, and uh, they scanned me, and they found a huge um, tumor in my kidney, and the doctor said it most it's oh certainly is cancer and it's very, very large. And so they sent me to a specialist in Toledo that was just a wonderful doctor. And uh, he scanned me some more. I had to have all kinds of things done before I could have surgery. And he said it's going to be a very severe surgery. A lot of people don't survive this because it's so big. And uh, the last time I gave this testimony, Michael said, I almost shouted out, Mom, show them your scar. Well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> But it's a big one, <laughs> and the cancer had gone uh from the kidney up uh in the vena cava vein to the heart and down an artery uh to the ovary, but it had not attached anywhere, so they were able to get it out. And uh, it was kind of a long recovery, but um, I began to feel good again. But they scan you Continued. continue. Well, I also took out lymph nodes, and the lymph nodes were all just fine, all around the kidney. And they thought that they had gotten it all, but they said, we need to keep uh, watching you because um, just one cell from your blood can, can go somewhere else and, and can metastasize. So um, I have been scanned so much in two years. It's a wonder I don't glow in the dark at night. <laughs> So I had scans done, and um, it came back in December. I had the surgery July 31st in December. When it came back, I had cancer in the spine, inside five vertebrae. And um, they said they would do radiation treatment. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I went through the radiation treatment, and then I was sent to an oncologist, and he got the reports and he said, uh, this is amazing. He said, sometimes this doesn't work very well, but it certainly has worked for you. There's only one tiny spot left. Uh, in your spine that has cancer, and that will likely be taken care of because the radiation continues to work. The next scan I had, it was all gone. So I was really praising the Lord for that. That Amen. So then they continued to scan me every three months, and the oncologist said, now you have spots in your liver. So he said, we're going to do a needle biopsy of that. So they did a needle biopsy. Michael and I went in to find out the results, and they said, we don't have the results. And they said, well, they called me and said they had the results. Well, we have a result, but it shows no cancer, so we think it's wrong. So they said, we're going to send you to Toledo to have another one done. So I went to Toledo and had a wonderful um, man there that uh, he did eight needle biopsies into my liver. Every one of them came back with no cancer. And he told me while I was there, which is really wonderful not to have to wait on that result. And he said, we hit the spots and there just is no um, cancer in your liver. Just spots. They don't know what they are. And so um, then my oncologist didn't believe that, so he sent me to Cleveland Clinic. I took the slides, took the scans, and they went through them, and they also said there's cancer in your liver but there's a couple of tiny spots in your uh, lungs which don't look like cancer now but they could be so we'll watch those so some more scans and uh, finally uh, one of the scans came back that the uh, spots in the lungs had begun to grow and so they were quite certain that they were cancer also some lymph nodes around the area had grown And uh, at that time, they said we got to go into the lymph nodes to see if it's cancer because the one by the lung is too close to an artery. They couldn't do that. So back to Toledo Hospital. uh, And then Michael went with me for the results. I keep a diary. Every night I write in my diary. And uh, this was February 18th. And we had gone, I wrote down, we went to Dr. Wayne's at 4 p.m. with Michael. The report is cancer. It's metastasized renal cell car- carcinoma. But I am at peace. It's like I haven't even heard that news. I have a very good friend named Sharon Bailey, and she writes to me and encourages me all the time. And I have down here, it's like Sharon Bailey said, the fight is the Lord's. I thought, amen. And, and I just was such peace. But I do have to tell you that at the beginning of this whole thing, the first thing I did, I found out about the cancer on Monday, Wednesday night I came and asked the elders if they would pray for me and anoint me with oil and such a peace came over me that that peace just was amazing as I went into surgery and each time I go into any of these things I have this peace that is just supernatural and I thought this is supernatural you can't get um, this kind of news and not have it upset you that's not me I'm not that kind of person I'm usually kind of high strung about things in a worrier but in these cases God just continually keeps me at peace so I went back to the oncologist and he said well uh, this is not curable Uh, all we can do is give you chemo and in hopes of extending your life and i thought Well, it's not curable to him, but I have the great physician on my side and we'll see what Jesus says about this. So they put me on a chemo, Uh, they had three different kinds that uh, may work to extend life. Went on the first one for um, a couple of months, they scanned me, and the cancer continued to grow. Then they put me on a pill every night, that was a second one, and I got um, so weak from that pill I couldn't walk across the room, it just took my breath away. If I stood up, I'd lose my breath. So I called um, the oncologist nurse, a good Christian lady we've shared together a lot, and uh, I said, Lila, I. I'm not going to do this anymore. I said, I'd rather go home and be with my Lord than to feel like this. This isn't worth living, you know. And uh, she said, well, go off of the pill, and I said, I already have, and come in in a week, and we'll talk to you about it, because they had one more they'd like to try on me. So I recovered from that, and I went, and now I'm on the third. um, I get every week on Wednesdays, I get an infusion of of chemo, and I'm feeling really quite good. Six weeks after they started, um, I was scanned, and they said it has reduced it by One fourth, and uh, I have a Christian friend that is a uh, chiropractor. and I talked to him about it, and he said, You know, I think that's a miracle, Marlene, because for that to reduce by one fourth in that short of time is pretty unreasonable. And so then I continued on this chemo, and the last one I had, he said, It's continuing to shrink, but I'm really not relying just on this chemo because it's just something that's putting this off for a while. I really am relying on the Lord. So, you know, when I get this kind of news, what I do, and what I do pretty much every night is I I go to bed, and I listen to either worship music, I have a uh, CD that are uh, different uh, scriptures about healing. I listen to those before I go to sleep. Some nights I just say, come Lord Jesus, just repeat his name over and over. And he just brings me peace. And you know, I'm nothing special. That's available to you as much as it is to me. And so I just want to encourage all of you uh, that you just ask God to be with you in whatever you're going through. And uh, I guess my first request when this happened, when uh, you anointed me with oil that first night, was I said, God be glorified in this. So that's still my wish, that God be glorified in this. And um, on that cross, I really believe that Jesus didn't die just for our sins, but it says, by his stripes we are healed. And if you would read through my diary, you would see that almost every night I have that at the end of my, of what I write, as by his stripes I'm healed, hanging on to that truth. But if he takes me home, then I'm free of this, as you said. Uh, so we'll see what God is doing, but I just pray he'd be glorified through me. Sure.
0: I want to go ahead and pray for uh, Marlene again here real quick. Uh, Lord, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for just the powerful testimony, Lord. And just thank you for the ministry that you've just blessed her with as she just goes out and just uh, touches so many people. I think of that passage where Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, Marlene is just such a living example for you. And obviously we do pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus from head to toe. We pray for health and healing. We pray that you'd bind the enemy on all ways. And, Lord, just go before this and we just say thank you for what you've done in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so Thank much. Martha, you um, are going to come forward here for the final song. We'll go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer then, and uh, we'll let you guys go after that. Just a quick reminder, and don't forget uh, this coming Saturday fellowship opportunity over there at the Windsingers, and hope you can come and be blessed by that. So we'll get over to uh, the praise team here for the final song. We'll close with a word of prayer, and we'll let you guys go.
2: He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. His grace is greater still than all of your choices. He is full of mercy. He is ever kind. Here is invitation. His arms are open wide, you can come as you are, with all your broken pieces, all your shameful scars. As you're Hear the sound of love That tells a different story Shattering your darkness Pushing through the lines How tenderly he calls you His arms are open wide You can come as you are broken pieces, all your shameful scars. The pain you hold in your heart, bring it all to Jesus. You can come as you are. You can come as you are. Broken pieces, all his shameful scars, the pain.
0: father once again thank you for just what you've done and what you're doing and pray we could be lights and witnesses for you in all that we do and all that we say no matter what we're going through to you be the glory we lift this up in your name amen you guys